Welcome to episode 110 of Stage Worthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stage Worthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre, featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you like the podcast, remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you leave a comment or rating, since those help new people find the show. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is performer and playwright Franny McCabe-Bennett. You can catch Franny in February as Moon in The Real Inspector Hound at the Oakville Center for the Performing Arts. Basically, my family went to the cottage for a week, and so I kidnapped my director and moved him into my house for a few days. Oh, yeah. And we, we worked for three days, had mm-hmm. three days of throwing things together, and, and rehear- I think we ran through it once, maybe, and then I drove for two days. Were you basically writing it in that rehearsal time? Sort of. Yeah. We had done a workshop version. Okay. We had done two readings um, the previous year. So mm-hmm. in 2016, we did a reading in June, and we did a reading in September, okay. and just kind of put it away, didn't didn't poke at it or do anything. Huh. Um, I tried to do a week by myself of, like, focused writing, yeah. and, like, kind of was like, oh, like, just basically decided I think I hate this version, and that was, like, all I really got out right, of that right, week. Right. And then had to go to Port Stanley, and then the last, like, two weeks of the show that we're running in Port Stanley, I was like, oh my god, like, I have a show really soon that's not written that I thought I would be able to write while I was here, which is obviously yeah. a terrible plan. <laughs> like, you were doing the, that focus writing. Were you doing that in your home or did you go somewhere? No, I was supposed to go to the Toronto islands. I had booked, uh, I had gotten in and booked a residency, a writing residency mm-hmm. there. And then the islands the flooded flood. and closed. Yeah. yeah. So then I, uh, ended up just booking an Airbnb in the beaches mm-hmm. because for me having, having that nature space is sure. like important. Yeah. So I ended up just booking an Airbnb in the beaches so I could write and then kind of look around whenever. And it ended up being owned by a friend of mine, like mm. someone, a colleague I know okay. in theater world. It was her parents' house, which was very weird. So I did that and that turned into more like doing sort of more research and mm. rereading and just being like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. This is terrible. Like I kind of feel there. like when, when, when I need to focus, I can't do it in this city. Like, mm-hmm. or going to the Island, which I've done, like I do, uh, for the last three years, I've done a, like a, a long, longish weekend playwrights retreat nice. at, at Earthscape. Ooh. And I feel like that's enough, like away from the city. Cause there's a distance. It's not yeah. like you can just sort of like run into people. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. People but, have to try to get to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like, Oh, I'm just going to go away in my city. And, and mm-hmm. there's something about the unfamiliar mm-hmm. that I find conducive to writing. So that well, if I me, I live in Oakville. Oh, oh so shit! I was like, okay, I gotta get out of my house. So for yeah. me, coming down here, I was able <clears throat> sure. to do it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Shit. But, but you got it written and performed. Yeah. It. Uh. Yeah. We we ended up changing the format. Um. And changed the whole structure of the piece so that it sure. was completely meta, a play within a play, like the audience watching a rehearsal mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that okay. I had a music stand with the script. Cause I le- legitimately was not off book. Sure. Yeah. Like I need to 
have a script. Yeah. So we need to come up with some premise that supports me having a script on yeah, stage yeah. that gives me permission to make mistakes and be like, oops, that went badly or like, oh, I forgot mm. a section yeah. or whatever. And the way that show is structured, it's half uh, historical documents and then half um, modern storytelling from my life mm. with my own lived sure. experience. And so we, but we were finding that the balance like even when it was 50 50, it still felt too like the historical language was so detailed that right. it still felt too dated. So mm. we needed more contemporary stuff. So having it structured that way meant that we could also have me interrupt the show and be like, Hey Chris, I just thought of this idea. Like what if we talk about a little and like kind of sneak stuff in, sure. in another way. And that show was called smashes smashes. Mm-hmm. And what was the What was the premise of smashes? So the premise of smashes is <clears throat> that I have written a play that combines my own lived experiences as a queer woman mm-hmm. coming out as bisexual yeah. in my like early-ish, mid-ish 20s. Mm-hmm. And then years later, reading um, the personal correspondence and letters and um, some of the fiction writing by Charlotte Perkins Gilman, who's mm-hmm. a feminist author in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And researching about her, like I read a play, a story of hers that I wanted to adapt to the stage, did some research for her found out through like very coded academic language that she had like passionate friendships, wink, wink. And I was like, that's obviously something. Yeah. So then looked that up and started reading about that. And I was like, Oh, well anyone could read this book and adapt the book. I want to do this. I want to talk about her and her life. Sure. uh, So there's this one summer, it's about a year actually of, of her communications with one of her best friends who she very clearly was in love with may or may not have had a physical relationship with. I think it's very, I think it indicates that they did. Sure. But there's like arguments back and forth. And um, yeah, so it's those, so it's her stories to this woman, her best friend who she was in love with. Um, and that relationship broke up because the girl, her best friend ended up getting married and she was so heartbroken that mm. she had to like take space from okay. it. So it tracks that particular frame, time frame with her relationship with Martha when this author Charlotte was 21 and then intercut with my own like parallel. So me reading something and then being, and then that triggering me coming out to my parents or that breakup and then telling a breakup story. Mm. So it's those sort of mirror image things. Yeah. And then also intercut with me directly addressing Christopher who, uh, is not actually doesn't ever speak or anything, but is technically is is a phantom version of Christopher that's sitting in the booth that's giving right. me feedback <laughs> and that I'm telling ideas to and um, is triggering other memories that sure. are sort of pretending to not be in the play, hmm. but that we wanted to share with the audience. Yeah. So then we get into a really weird thing because then we're like, like where, physically, where am I looking? And yeah. who am I talking to? And what tone do I have? Because if I'm telling, if I'm telling these stories to Christopher, is there shorthand that I that I'm skipping because I don't need to fill in an audience? But then there's context that the audience needs because yeah. they feel like they may not know me as a human person. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. it's a little bit complicated. How? I mean, premiering a show in a place where one does not think about it being. Uh, you one one thinks of, of a place like St. John is more more conservative yeah. than say mm-hmm. liberal Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did that first off? How did you feel about premiering a show mm-hmm. about bisexuality and queerness in St. John, and how did it end up going? Uh, I was I was <clears throat> nervous. I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen. 
But I did have the experience under my belt of doing uh, the Toronto, the Winnipeg, and Hamilton fringes with a sketch show that I had done with a friend of mine. And that show was also based on relationships and was mm-hmm. also based on true stories, mm-hmm. um, which is a real, I'm mining those experiences. Sure, yeah, yeah. And that, so that also had some queer content in it. Mm-hmm. And in that show, I was really nervous about it because it was not explicit that that's what it would talk about. Right. It was all about dating and relationships. And so for Megan, who's a straight woman, her stories were all about dudes. Yeah. And for me, as is a queer person, my stories were about multiple gender people. And we, I made a focused effort that I I wanted to, I didn't want to erase my identity. Sure. But I also was very aware of like, I was a little nervous about it. So the way. Were there specific places that you were more nervous about? Um, no, because that one we premiered in Stratford at a festival up in Stratford, which is also sort of small town. Springworks? Springworks. Springworks. Yeah, Springworks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did Springworks. So we did Springworks in 2014 or 15, I think. I think 2014. I think that might have been the same year I was there, but. Yeah, I know. The years blur together. I know. Right? It's so it's so blurry. That so show was I, called. I it's called XOXO, The Relationship Show. And we ended up winning the People's Choice Award that year. I feel like maybe I saw it. No. That show did not win the People's Choice Award that I was there. The show that had like 23 people in it. Okay. <clears throat> won the People's Choice Award that year. So. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I wasn't there that year. No. We were there the same time as Red Headed Coffee Shop Girl. Who's a oh, she was like the year before. So yeah. So we would have been She was my before. first interview, you know. Oh really, Rebecca? Yeah, Rebecca was my first. Interview. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rebecca's great. Yeah. Rebecca, we were we partnered on because we both were out of town companies. Sure, at Springworks. We. Did I feel like you need Springworks is is kind of a, an, a festival that's like it's like kind of an unfringe because it doesn't really operate in the same way as a fringe festival. It does, does not. No. And I feel like it's really hard to get an audience out because yes. you don't know how to promote the show. Yeah, I think if you're doing Springworks, you really. <clears throat> um, have to take responsibility for an audience, which is really hard if you're an out of town. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. Um, we, both of our shows, our show and Rebecca shows had like, okay houses. Mm-hmm. We got lucky in that our show. So XOXO, the relationship show was started as a very small project when Megan and I were both in Humber college. Yeah. We did this 15 minute thing that was like a class exercise basically. Sure. But it went really well. People really liked it. So then we were like, let's, Let's try this again. And in 2013, um, Hamilton was doing, I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but they were doing, it was the first year they did the mini series, which was for shows in art galleries. Frostbites. Uh, nope. Frostbites is a new thing okay. that came in years later. This was okay. part of the fridge. So it ran the same oh, time shit. as the fridge. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they do still do it. They still do the, the shorts. In, yeah, in, the little shorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was the first year they did it. And at that at that time, the rules were low or no tech. Right. And 25 minutes. And I think now they've made it 20 minutes. It's and the tech is a little minutes. bit more flexible. They do now. allow you to have some tech. Yeah. yeah. So, and maybe it was, maybe the tech options were more flexible at that point, but we really glommed on to no, we're like, let's do a no tech show. Sure. Let's just see if we can turn this little project into a thing. It's yeah. only 25 minutes. We've mm. already got 15 minutes. We're like, it didn't take us that long to write 15. Pretty sure we can fluff this up to 25. Although technically that was a rewrite. We, re- we kept the same idea, but rewrote the whole thing. And that went really well. Mm. But in that version, back to the queerness as well, I wasn't explicit about Fairness, it was all just like this person I dated or whatever. And it, it wasn't a big focus of it. It just sort of 
if people caught it, great. If they didn't, sure. whatever. And then we decided to apply to Springworks and um, do a 60-minute version because a lot of the feedback from the Hamilton little mini show was, this was great. We want more. Yeah. So like, okay. So we applied to Springworks and did this 60-minute. And at that one, um, so that was the premiere there. And when we went to add basically double – so in our minds, we're like, okay, so now we're writing a second show. Yeah. We already had a chunk. And we basically split it down the middle and inserted another half an hour sure. in between. And um, that one, I said to Megan, like, I want to, I really need to own, like, the fact that I'm dating men and women. I yeah. don't, I want that to be clear to yeah, people. Yeah. But that's not the point of the show. The point of the show is us dating people and breaking up with people and relationships. Yeah. But just so you know, like, I really feel like I need to do that. And Megan was like, yeah, great. Like, of course, mm. that's fine. Those, no problem. Like, she was immediately <laughs> like, yeah, great. And so one of the, the biggest way that we made a point of it was I, um, we have a section. So that shows, it's, we call it a sketch show because it's the quickest way to describe sure. it. But it's basically a variety show. It's technically a vocal mask. Okay. So it has songs and dances and poems and stories and sure. monologues and classical text and, and poetry we wrote and poetry we found. And like, well, it's many different things. Mm-hmm. It's a mosaic. And uh, one of the elements that we put in was this storytelling. Because somebody invited me to do a storytelling gig. Like, And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Sure, I'll try that. And... Um, that story that I told at the storytelling gig was the first time I ever uh, kissed a woman, kissed a girl. Yeah. And that storytelling experience was very nerve wracking for me. Mm. I was very shy to tell it because I was like, oh my gosh, like none of these people know me. And like, what if, what if people are me? And, but that storytelling event was in Toronto and the yeah. people that were programming it knew the content. And I was yeah. like, I know I'm going to be safe, yeah, of course. but still it was a little nerve wracking, but it went really well. So when Meg and I were adding new bits, I said, you know, I really, I think I want to develop that story a little further, get it more polished Mm -hmm. and put that as a moment. So do you, do you have a story that maybe you could tell that's a parallel story? And we're trying to think of things and think of things. And then, um, we were talking about first kisses and then she has a very funny first kiss story from when she was like 16 or 17. And, uh, so then we made that what the connection was. So we both would tell a first kiss Mm. story and hers was about her first boyfriend when she was in high school. And mine was about this woman when I was in university, but oftentimes I I assumed, and maybe this is naive too, because I never really asked anyone, but I was assuming people were clocking me as a straight person. I'm very femme. I like makeup and dresses. And in the mm. world we live in, that means that people think you're a straight sure. person. And also <clears throat> if you're a bisexual or a pansexual or a queer person who dates multiple genders, if you date people who look like they're men, people assume you're a straight woman. Yeah. And so I would always make a point. So when I would tell that story and the placement of that story was very specific for me because I knew that by that point in the show, people were already going to, if they were going to like us and like the show, they would by that point. Yes. If they weren't going to like us and not like the show, they wouldn't by that point. This story wouldn't be make or break. Yes. Um, but it would probably be a bit of a revelation for people who are laughing at these jokes and songs and whatever and feeling connected to us as these storytellers and these women. And then hear this story that was very specifically this is the first time I kissed a girl. Mm-hmm. This is the story. And the story is very fun and accessible and easy and not sure. scary in any way. Yeah. Um, and then having, and then I, some, sometimes 
after the story, I would add a little footnote of like, by the way, like now you've met a queer person or like if you hadn't known a bisexual person before, now you do. And just kind of <laughs> throw that into yeah. places. So the first time we did that in Stratford, I was a little nervous because I Stratford is also a small town. Mm-hmm. But it has this giant theater scene and there's a lot of queer people in the theater world. Yeah. So that felt like it was a bit safer, but I was a little nervous, um, but it went fine. And then we ended up that same year. So that was in May of 2014. And then in July of that year, we went to the Hamilton fringe. We had been short uh, waitlisted mm-hmm. and then someone had to cancel yeah. or whatever. And we were like, well, great. We've got this show that's ready to go. We'll do it. And so when we started performing in Hamilton, it was, it would make me a little nervous, but every, I, I have to say, I've never gotten a bad reaction. I've never gotten mm. people be mean or anything, That's or good. if they have, it's never been public. No, it's yeah, never yeah, been yeah. to me. Yeah. Who yeah. knows if somebody's whispering something, but I've, I've always, and I think because it's comedy and because this, that kissing story is a comedic story, yeah. people feel safer. I think there might also be the idea because you're doing it at, like you said, at a specific point Mm -hmm. where they already like you. They do. And it's not like you told them that there was going to be gay shit in Mm -hmm. the play. Mm -hmm. So people who might have reacted if they knew going in. Right. Or they might be blindsided by it, but they already like you. So they can't come in and hate you all of a sudden. Yeah, it's true. Like it's, it would, I think if somebody did have that experience of suddenly having a strong negative reaction, I honestly think that it would make them wonder why yeah because if you're laughing two seconds earlier and laughing to me like even if you're complete strangers if you're watching a comedian or whatever you have you have to be you when for you to laugh an audience member for laughing there's a connection there is a connection and you're so vulnerable like as a comedian you're vulnerable but as a as an audience member you're vulnerable because you're letting the world know what strikes your fancy you're not Mm -hmm. aware of it you can't control it yeah it's yeah, it's like mentally being tickled. You can't yeah. stop it. it. The interesting it thing is also when you laugh, you are uncontrolled. And so people mm-hmm. learn a little bit about who you are by the way you laugh. Yes, even the sound of your yeah. laugh. And yeah. Yeah, and I've certainly been in shows where we've had someone with a very striking laugh, which will trigger more laughter. Oh, I love that. I love that. Everyone when you it. have When you have somebody in the audience who has a loud laugh, you're like, yeah. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Because you're going to help these people who yes. might be quiet laughers know that it's okay to laugh. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really, it's really fun and, and special. So I think that sort of... I, I always relied on that as yeah. a bit of a safety net of like, I know that they already like me. Like yeah. if they're laughing at the scene two seconds before mm-hmm. they're going to keep laughing at this. And if they hit, if it goes to crickets, mm-hmm. our show also, it completely breaks the fourth wall. We direct address the audience a lot. Sure. And in that moment, we're very specifically saying, hi, my name is Franny. I'm telling you a story from this time, from this city, yeah, yeah, yeah. With these people that if I ever did have a reaction like that, it's completely built in that I could talk about it. Like sure. if I needed yeah. to come away from the story and talk about the reactions to the story, I could. Yeah. But I've never I've never had to. So That's I would good. say having that experience of doing that in Hamilton and getting a positive response, Toronto I knew I'd be fine. Mm-hmm. And um, Winnipeg I was a little nervous as well. I don't think you would have to Winnipeg has been doing fringe a very long time and so they you know, it's not like they've haven't seen some weird no, shit. It's and, true. Yeah. But I will say that um, the shows that had explicit queer content in Winnipeg did not have as big houses. People were a little more 
a little more hesitant unless it was something where they knew the performance really well. Right, right, right. Like there's a local production of The Birdcage mm-hmm. that sold out like a 300 seat theater every single night. Sure. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, John is in a dress and he looks of great. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great. But mm. people that um, we'd never been to Winnipeg, we had sure. no yeah. uh, history there. And in such a big fringe as a newcomer, as an out of towner, it's tough. It's yeah. tough to crack in there. It's um, hard if you, like, you need to. If you're doing one of the the bigger fringes out west, you really need to make sure that you've done number one one of the fringes that their reviewer will go to because the reviewer for the Winnipeg Free Press goes to Montreal and yeah, Toronto. We did not know that, and that kind of yeah. burned us actually. It, well, because now you're not going to get her because those out of towners get a review the week fringe opens. Yeah, we got a review posted the morning before, like in the morning. We had our check that afternoon. We had a review come out in that morning and yeah. we had no idea nobody warned us oh shit we had no information mm. about it and the person who reviewed it basically um i think maybe didn't understand that it was a comedy mm. or perhaps the comedy wasn't their taste which is fine comedy yeah. is super subjective but their feedback was like that they want and that show is very there's a lot of absurd things like sure. there's a lot of we have one scene, for example, where Megan is, I'm interviewing Megan and the language and the structure is completely uh, stolen from job interviews. Sure. But I'm interviewing her to, to become my brother's new girlfriend. Right. The premise. And, uh, the, and then it gets really weird. And then we go into this giant coughing fit and then we become like flight attendants. And we're talking about getting ready for a first date and like all the steps, like we modeled that after flight attendants where we have mirror, like matching hand gestures and whatever, but we're talking about like shaving your legs and yeah. you know, makeup and all this stuff. And it just, it is a bit trippy and it is a bit wild. And the main feedback from that advanced review was that there wasn't enough like reality. Like I think they wanted to okay. hear more sad stories and they're like, breakups aren't funny. And we are like, okay, but this is a comedy show. It's so you know, what's, what's, like, what's, what's what? always interesting for me in a review is when the reviewer sort of goes off on their fantasy world of like, I would have liked to see, yes. you know, tell us more about this. And I'm always like, no, how about we just stick to, but this is the show. How about <laughs> stick, like talk about the show that yeah. you saw and not yeah. what you wanted to see. Yeah. So that's that kind was, of a, a review pet peeve of mine. Yeah. It right? was difficult. And we were really surprised when we were in Toronto, we, I mean, we're both from Oakville and have a lot of connections in mm. Toronto and, and did, uh, we're really happy with the, marketing and feedback that we were able to get mm-hmm. we got i think nine reviews in toronto That's which was great yeah. yeah there are a lot of people that got none or much yeah. less and whatever and the majority of those reviews were very positive which was lovely so we were sort of like great we're ready for winnipeg and then when we got to winnipeg and those were back to back like mm-hmm. we finished yeah. and then the next day we flew out yeah and so we get to winnipeg and we're kind of exhausted and kind of fried from already doing a fringe but we're like ready to go and then that morning we get this review that's like, mm, I would have preferred it to be yeah. more. And I can't remember anymore, but just, we were like, oh, that's not the tone we were expecting. And also, okay, like we can't even it's always so be in the room with you. Because, like, and each city is so different. Like, that's the thing. That was very frustrating. Is, <sighs> for a lot of, in a lot of cases, in a lot of cases, like when you go from one fringe to another, you're mm-hmm. starting at zero. Yes. Unless you have a show that somehow has buzz between fringes. Yes. Yeah. Which is a great spot to be in, but it's pretty rare because most times you'll go from Toronto to Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. You're like, did really well in Toronto. They're like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
And for us, particularly with a, with a comedy show, even within, like, within each, like, the run of the Toronto Fringe, each show, I would say, is unique. And yeah. we, we, within the first maybe five minutes, not even of that show, we can tell, is this an audience that's into the physical comedy? Are they into the smart wordplay? Mm. Do they like the music? Like, <clears throat> we can see where they're kind of falling in love and where they're not as into sure. it. And so, and I'd say Megan and I are both very good at reading that and not turning into big hands and milking stuff too much, but we're like, oh, like we can, we know what jokes are going to land sure. and which ones are, are going to really work for people. So then getting a review where the Winnipeg, we're like, we don't even know yet what Winnipeg is like. Like, yeah. we don't know what this crowd, each individual crowd is going to be like, but the tone of this city is going to be completely different from Toronto. Yeah. The Hamilton crowd to the Toronto crowd were totally different. And mm-hmm. we negotiated those as we came across them. So that was really shocking to us. And then our second review in Winnipeg was from um, a volunteer reviewer, which great. Thank you, volunteer reviewers. Mm-hmm. But it was just a synopsis and mm. didn't, didn't even have at the end of the synopsis a like, and I liked it or I hated it. Like there nothing. Were a it was couple just of, kind of facts. A couple of, we're like, of, this is kind of, of a websites. waste of space. It's so weird when that happens. Like there's a couple of, of websites in Hamilton that just give a synopsis. And it's like, yeah. you've done nothing for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're calling this a review, but it's not. Yeah, we were very lucky with our Hamilton reviews that they did tend to have an opinion, but mm. I think it's not uncommon for, for Fringe in general to have reviewers because they want they need such a volume sure. of people that people who like theater or are interested in theater or want to give reviewing a shot. Sure. Um, I think they need a little more guidance and coaching. I think they need I think yeah. there needs to be a you must do these things in your review. Don't just give us a synopsis of Yeah, it. I agree cuz I mean I, even a synopsis with a closing line of "and that worked for me" would that do would more least, than that would at least tell you something and tell yeah, exactly. a potential audience something. Yeah. Although you know, it worked for me is not a great pull quote, but no, at least but it's, it's somebody than, giving an opinion. Yeah, like I know? already wrote a synopsis in my marketing material. Yeah, like, you could have just copied and pasted that. that. There. And maybe in Hamilton, I was like, "You did." Yeah. You copied and pasted my press release. Right. Thank you. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So, Franny, um, yeah. what we've talked a lot about these two these two shows, mm-hmm. and I'm curious about. Um, oh, sorry. Just before we, yeah. I realized this all started because you asked what it was like doing the show with Queer Content oh, in yeah. St. John, and it was great. I was I was nervous because I didn't know anyone in St. John. Sure. I have zero connections there, nothing. Um, but I also thought, well, it is a show that is very explicitly mm. about bisexuality. Yeah. So if you are mad at bisexuality, I doubt you're going to spend your 10 bucks. Probably not. Like, I don't think that I'm going to have to deal with people that are like hate buying, like hate shopping. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people that turned out were mm. all incredibly lovely and supportive. And the fact that that audience grew and grew showed yes. me that there was yeah, yeah, yeah. a really big um, support network for the type of work I was doing. Mm. And I started, I put out, I would call it, um, I called it my guest book and I put it out. And at the end of the show, the volunteers would open it up and people, and I'd have a bunch of pens and people could write messages to me Mm. about the show, feedback for the show, feedback about their experiences. And part of that was because my director couldn't be there. Right. So I wanted him to have some kind of record of like, people liked this part or whatever. And, um, also after reading it, I'm going to be able to use a lot of it for like grant applications for showing why it's important to the community. And I got tons of responses from people. Like after the show, I always said like, please, if you want to chat further, 
I'm here. Mm-hmm. This is a topic that mm-hmm. does not, there, I wrote this play because there aren't plays about this. Yeah. So if there's something in this that you want to chat about, mm. I'd be happy to. And I, after every single show, people come up and I heard stories of like, you know, people came out to me and they hadn't come out to anyone else yet, or they had just come out to their partner or their parents were dealing with something or, mm. you know, their sister had just gotten pregnant with her wife and yeah. it had been such a trial. And like, I just was able to hear all these stories which yeah. I was like this is this is important when you connect with an audience like that there's something really kind of special about it mm-hmm. um the show that i did in hamilton it it uh, my premise is a comedy mm-hmm. and i turn it in about the halfway point so i somebody referred to it as the throat punch in the middle of the show mm. um but the number of times that people would like people i didn't know be like can i hug you yes yes you know, mm-hmm. you finish the show and they're like, can I, is it okay if we connect in this mm-hmm. way? One guy left a note on the stage. He just, uh, and it was just like a, a heartbreaking note, but yeah. it was like that kind of connection when you know, you've done something right when you connect that. that yeah. Way. Yeah. And in St. John, because it's such a small town as well. Um, almost after almost every show, people are like, Hey, you're getting food. You're getting a drink. Can we show you somewhere to go? Oh, or geez, whatever, of course. Which was like yeah. really nice. That is nice. And then I would end up walking around, town and bumping into people who had seen the show the night before mm. or seen the show or were coming to see the show. There was like one group of friends that I bumped into like four times and they were constantly telling people that they were going to see the show and couldn't wait to see the show. And I was like, I already didn't, I don't know you guys, but you're just so That's excited. Great. And, and it, is it, it all happen like in the uptown area it does, in, yeah. in St. John? Okay. Yeah. Cool. All uptown. Yeah. It's all very walkable. Yeah. Um, which is great. I've loved, I fell in love with the city. The It's so easy to fall in love with St. John. Oh as a, Just like just walking around and looking at the architecture. You're yes. just like, this place is beautiful. It was beautiful. And all these buildings are empty. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was wild. And the first day, um, I didn't re- cause I don't, I, we're on a lake. We're not on an ocean. Yeah. I don't deal with fog very often <laughs> and hadn't really thought much about it. And at the time there were a bunch of, um, wildfires that were also going on. Right. So when I drove into St. John, I was like, Oh my gosh, there must be terrible fires that are, that are blowing into the city. And I asked my billets who I was staying with who were amazing. Kelty and Frank, they were so loved. happy birthday. Kelty just had a birthday. Um, <laughs> they were so great. I loved them. And they also had two shows and they were amazing. And, um, so I was like, are there, and I thought, I know, I, I know I'm going to be wrong, but like, are there fires? And they're like, no, no, this is fog. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> fog. and that really, like, I ended up making a bunch of Instagram videos of just me, like walking through the fog, singing spooky songs and stuff. It was like, what is this magical Halloween town? Nice. Like to me, that's really how it felt. But, yeah, that's I fell so in love with it. And well, the audiences were super supportive. And nice. Yeah. And the funny fringe is like almost the fall. Is it September? Is it it was like August. August no, the Halifax one is in September. Right. And it was last year, August 20, 20 to 25, 21 sure. to 26, something like yeah. that. Okay. So a lot of people mm. were doing that and then um, planning on heading to Halifax. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, when... Did theater become a thing for you? Do you remember what your first... Yeah. Um, yeah. Theater and I have had... I'm talking as if it's a person I know. I met... It is. In... It is a person that we all know. <laughs> um, yeah. Ever since I was a really little kid, I just always wanted to... I remember doing like play, a play in grade two. We did Sleeping Beauty or something like that. I can't remember the show, but I remember 
somebody getting to like dress as a princess and put on the crown. And I was like, I need to do, I need to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, it started with musical theater and singing. I was in choirs and then I did a play when I was in grade seven that was with the high schools Mm -hmm. and our local high school brought in young people from all the feeder schools to play the, like the junior cast. Right. But I was probably the height I am now, which is I'm a tall lady. And so immediately they were like, Oh, actually you have to be a parent. <laughs> You're too tall to be a kid. And I took that as a huge compliment because I also like conflated that with my acting ability. And I was like, of oh, course, yeah. if I can like pass as a grade 10, like what a, what a genius. Like, I really, like, <laughs> took it pretty seriously. And fell in love with it. I loved it. I was mm. so sad when it ended in grade seven because I knew I wouldn't be able to do it again until grade nine. And I was like, grade eight is going to be the worst mm. year of my life. I like, just couldn't imagine having to wait that long to do it again. Um, and then, yeah, by high school, I was hooked. I was doing theater, the, the school play, and then also community theater. And I worked with a, a community theater group that still, to this day, are some of the most talented um, directors and instructors I've ever, mm. ever worked with. Mm. I couldn't believe that they were there, but it also set my expectations really high for like future classes and workshop and mm-hmm. training. So I was like, <laughs> I nailed this when I was like 15. Like, what are you talking about? So that was always kind of a funny experience mm. to me. But, um, realizing in hindsight, like, wow, they were good. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were really good. And a lot of the people I worked with, although it was community theater, ended up either people my age that now are actors and are, and are wonderful. Um, I'll say Tim Wellam's name and, uh, or people that clearly could have been, but chose to do something else with their life and Mm -hmm. kept it for fun. So that was realizing like, wow, I really had like talented people around me as a young Mm. person. Um, I'm sure encouraged me, but I was also really anxious. I deal Mm. with anxiety in lots of different ways, shapes and forms. And when I was in the end of high school, my drama teacher was like, so, like, what theater schools are you applying to? And I was like, none. What? Because I didn't think I would make it. I was like, there's right. no way I'm going to get in. Mm. There's no way. The only people that get into those programs are, like, so talented and I'm not good enough. And her face was, like, falling. And she looked kind of mad also. And she told me, she was like, well, I'm giving you the drama award, like, when you graduate. But that's supposed to go to someone who's continuing. And I was yeah. like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And she was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. And uh, she still gave me the award, but was kind of like, maybe I'll think about it. And I ended up going to Guelph because it was um, a a school that I felt really comfortable at. And Mm -hmm. for me at that age, feeling comfortable and safe was like my priority. And they had such a wide range of programs that I was like, I'll find something that I like. So I took in first year a bunch of different classes, some science things, some art things, all over the place, history things, whatever. And uh, just as I continued in in school, kept taking more and more drama stuff. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm in theater. Like, okay, (laughs) didn't need it, but here I am. Graduated from that and then spent about six months working as a receptionist in hair salon in Oakville, being just so sad. Like, Mm. so sad. And I remember I, I had a job. One of my tasks every day was to take every single product off of these glass shelves, dust them all, put them all back. And I would do that every single day. And I was like, they're not 
it's not that dusty. <laughs> like, it's not necessary. But I had to do it. And I remember one time I was like dusting the shampoo again and was like, oh my God. And I could overhear the rich Oakville ladies talking about their weekends and whatever with their stylists and with each other. And I remember one lady said she had gone with her husband to celebrate their anniversary to see Jersey Boys, which was running at that time in Toronto. And I remember I just silently started crying and thought the sentence in my head, I'm not in Jersey Boys. And then I was like, what? What? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. Jersey Boys is, okay, that, that show does not even have, and then I started running through the logistics. I'm like, yeah. that show doesn't even, it has hardly any parts for women. I'm not focusing on musical theater anymore. Like, what am I, what is going on? And then I realized I was just completely missing it and super sad. Sure. So I auditioned for um, one of the other community theater groups in Oakville that year was doing Proof, the play Proof. And I auditioned for that and ended up getting the lead part in that. It was the biggest role I'd had up to that point and it was dramatic and I'd been doing a lot of comedy previously and musicals. And so that was really, I was like, okay, I'm going to you know see how this goes. And I was really excited and it went really well. And um, we, there was an adjudicator who came in who gave really great feedback. And I ended up contacting her and saying, hey, I'd, I'd like you to be my coach. Like, you gave such great feedback on this play. Like, can do you do coaching? Do you have classes? Whatever. And she said yes. And then from that relationship, she suggested I apply to theater school. Or, mm-hmm. she, or maybe I had said I was thinking about it. And she was like, yep. And she was affiliated with Humber College. Okay. So she said, why don't you think about those guys? And by the time I decided, I'd missed a lot of the deadlines for the schools. The only sure. schools that were still taking submissions were Humber and um, Studio 58. I always want to say Studio 54. <laughs> Studio 58 at Langara College in um, BC in Vancouver, mm-hmm. where a friend of mine was studying. And uh, I applied and I got into both and I decided to stay at home because I'm a bit of a homebody. Mm-hmm. And I thought yeah. all my connections will be out west. I want them to be here. Yeah. And I uh, was at Humber College for two years, and my first year was a great experience, and my first semester of second year was pretty good, and then my second semester of second year, I was kind of getting feedback that I didn't really understand and didn't really agree with. I started getting a lot of pushback that... I've always been a strong comedic performer, and I started getting feedback that that was too prominent. That I that things I was making things too funny or something, and I didn't understand that. And I also was like, well, but I remember when we did Macbeth, like no one was laughing. <laughs> like mm, I'm not yeah. sure mm. what. Like I didn't mm. get. So the feedback was starting to get kind of strange to me, and I couldn't figure it out. And um, there were a few other things that just started to strike me as kind of odd. And I had always taken the idea of going to theater school. At that point, I decided I was at theater school. So my options were either I take a bunch of workshops and classes yeah. on my own, um, which actually my one of my profs at Guelph recommended, yeah. or I go to theater school and you've already hired everybody for me. I just have to show up. They're the ones traveling back and forth. I don't have to find a clown class and yeah. a puppetry class and a Shakespeare class and a contemporary class and a film class. Like You've mm. already done it. You've curated it. Yeah. I get to go and practice. At that point, I was 25, 26, and I knew I was like, I'm doing this. This is, I'm doing it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Anytime I've tried not to do it, I get too sad and too bored. Yeah. So I got to do it. And, um, yeah. And then, but by the end, by coming towards the end of second year, I was starting to feel like, I don't know if this is as helpful for me 
as it could be. And it's a three-year program or two-year? It's a three-year program. Right. And, uh, but I still was getting very good, for the most part, very good feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that I felt were kind of putting me in a box more than I agreed with, but always got like good work comments. Sure. Um, good job stickers type thing. And then uh, at the end of my second year, I just had a weird vibe. I just felt like all of a sudden, not all of the teachers, but some of the teachers started getting kind of a little distant Hmm. and a little cold, a little more impatient. And a lot of, you know, theater people are dramatic. It's called drama school for a reason. But even that seemed kind of more heightened. And I was confused about that. But I was still very involved in the program and in the school. I actually, the school had hired me to be their, uh, like box office person and asked me to sit on a panel for, to represent the entire program at this, they would have once a year at the end of the year, a student representative from all the performing arts, the comedy people, Mm. the acting film and TV people. Um, I think there were musicians and all the different things that were in the, the, performing arts right. category. We'd go and meet with the deans and bring whatever issues we had or concerns or whatever. And we were always, you know, at risk of losing money, every program. Think of, of all course, the, yeah. you know, typical program sure. issues an arts program could have. So they had said, you know, can you please speak on behalf of these things and blah, blah, blah. So I went and did that and then was offered um, a summer job position with uh, the school which you can only get if you're a returning student. Right. Because at the end of each semester, they do uh, the interview process where you're invited back or you're told the, you have to repeat. That's the, uh, oh, they do a repeat because... You can either get repeated, you can be asked to repeat, be asked to withdraw, mm-hmm. or promoted on. Okay. Um, and so everyone's always a little wary sure. of that. Yeah. And I had never <clears throat> been at risk of anything Previously, mm. and my work was always one of these sort of standouts in the class, I would say, um, based on the feedback that I was getting and reactions from the audiences and nothing against anyone else in my class, but that was the experience that I was having. Sure. And, uh, but then by the end of that second term, something started going kind of weird and I wasn't sure if I was going to come back for 30 or I don't know if they're really supporting me in the way, like I'm here mm. to grow as an actor. Yeah. I already know I'm going to be an actor. Yeah. I'm here to get as good at it as I can. Sure. And I'm starting to think that maybe this isn't the right place for that. But I hadn't shared that with anyone. I kept that very private and then went into this meeting and was told that there was no room for me in my third year, even though I had literally, it was a week to the day I had been the representative of the program. It had been three days after I'd been offered a job and uh, it was very shocking. Uh, It was very, very shocking. And it was suggest. All of a sudden, I got feedback I'd never heard before, hmm. never heard before. And referencing projects that we had done six months ago, of like in this project, you actually ha- were more like this, and you were more like that, and like other negative hmm. feedback. Sure. I was like, well, why didn't anyone tell me six months ago? Like, if you're telling me that I have an issue connecting with a scene partner, why are you telling me now and telling me that I have no chance to yeah. resolve it? Mm-hmm. And also, I'm not being put on probation. I'm not being told I have to repeat. I'm not being told like, look, we're seeing an issue here. You need to work on it. But all of a sudden went from having like some of the highest marks in the class to sorry, you got to go like no chance. You're it's done. There's Mm. no hope. (laughs) It's like, Mm. what? This is, this is wild to me. It was so shocking. 
and one against any experience I'd ever had in an academic setting. Mm. And a lot of the personal relationships that I had with the teachers, I was very surprised at. Um, and then went through an appeal process actually on the advice of a teacher that disagreed with yeah. the decision. And then I wrote many letters and emails to other teachers who had taught me and had been sessional teachers and people who are very well respected in the community and who are now do. And I remember Ravi Jane with yeah. Peter, why not? He'd been a sessional teacher and I messaged him and was like, Hey, so I'm getting kicked out of school. I don't agree with the reasonings that they're giving. I think the reasons are kind of fake. I think it's a personal conflict. I think somebody doesn't want to work with me for some reason. Um, but they're saying that it's my work quality of work. Would you be willing to say that the quality of work in my class did not reflect, like was good enough to continue? And he was like, this is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. really? Like, I do not understand at all what they're talking about. That is not the experience I had with you as a student of mine. Mm. I'd be happy to write about what my experience of you as a teacher was like. Right. And I got that response from, I think every, almost everyone I, I asked mm. a few people said they would rather abstain. Cause they're like, well, I don't know what, they dealt with you. So I don't want to talk about my experience. I wasn't they sure. Weren't sure how it was relevant, which I was like, okay, well fine. That's, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally yeah. fine. Um, but there were enough people that wanted to support me immediately that, um, I contacted the Dean and literally was like, remember me? I was in your office a week ago representing this program. I'm being kicked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were shocked and they had never, they had never had that experience before. Mm. And, uh, so I appealed formally wrote up a big letter and referenced all the grades and all the feedback and had all my little report cards and all my comments and all my projects and letters from teachers and, the administration overruled the, the teachers and said, this doesn't, we don't yeah. see any evidence of why this person should leave. And they had also, what the technical thing that they had set up was that every student needed to get a minimum of 70% in their core thing of right. acting, uh, voice and movement. And I had passed every thing fine, except in my acting section, I finished with 68 and my argument was also, I'm not real. I personally couldn't tell you the difference between a 68% student and a 70% student. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would argue that nobody can. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I'm not coming. I'm not missing class. I'm not, you know, yeah. doing anything that would be a standard. I'm not disruptive. I'm not, you know, not handing stuff in. Yeah. Even if this is a genuine concern of the quality of my work. And they didn't give me a 30. No, <laughs> they gave me a 68. What's that about? It's and one of those things that, said, yeah, I yeah. don't know. It's one of those weird <laughs> things in theater schools where um, they want to whittle it down and they don't like, how do you do that mm -hmm. without at George Brown, when I was there, and this is like 20 odd years ago, mm -hmm. um, they would just, after a, similar situation where somebody sued the school. Mm -hmm. um, they just gave everybody really low marks. Right. Because what's a B actor yeah. or what's a C actor. So it was always like C's and D's, whatever is mm -hmm. basically what everybody got. Mm -hmm. um, and that was their marks are low enough. We can, we can do what we want, we can do whatever but, we want. Yeah. but it's like one of those, like how do you yeah. do it? And, and, Sounds like they've made some pretty poor decisions there. Yeah. Did you go back even after being asked to leave? Um, so I won that appeal. Yeah. And I did return for two days. Yeah. And then said, this is ridiculous. 
this is my time and my money. And I've yeah. always maintained that I'm here to become the best actor that I can be. Yeah. And I feel completely unsafe in this space. Huh. I had, um, one instructor who actually had been very supportive and, uh, and said, okay, just so you know, like if you come back, they're going to be giving you feedback that you, it's probably going to be hard to follow because they're going to be saying you have to ignore every instinct you have. And I thought that seems wrong mm. for an actor. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. so then how am I supposed to do that? Like, then I'm just going to, I have to become a void of all my yeah. own natural thoughts mm. and feelings. And then what will happen if I do that for a year, I'm going to graduate being a robot of what somebody thinks is the correct yeah, yeah, yeah. way yeah. to do things. And like acting is so subjective. And like, I couldn't, I thought I'm one of all the people who have like, what about these letters from teachers that, that thought that my instincts were correct yeah. and, mm. or made sense or were at least something they could work with, even if they yeah. you know, didn't love it right away. And that was very, concerning to me. And so I contacted the Dean and, um, the heads of the department and said, yeah, this place is too toxic and mm. not worth my time and energy as an artist. I'm continuing to be an artist and I'm going to put my time and money into places that will help me grow. Sure. And this school is not that place mm. at all. And, uh, and then dropped out. Hmm. And my class, the average graduating class from Humber at that time. And I will say there's been a change in people who are the heads now. So I don't know what the current Sure. status is like although i will say that one of the teachers who was very supportive to me is the new head of that program sure. so yeah. i i have i believe that uh, that's great mm -hmm. <laughs> that's really yeah, yeah. good news um but for a few years after that every single semester students would message me and at first it was people i knew because it was people either yeah. in my class or mm -hmm. the class below or you know we're in first year and i had kind of a vague recollection of them and then it was strangers it was just people from classes that had heard about me through other students of people who got kicked out for very strange reasons hmm. and i coached a number of people through the appeals process yeah and up to that point i was the only student who had appealed there had been one other appeal within the last like 10 or 15 years of the program um, outside of me and they were kicking people out left, right and center for all sorts of mm. quote unquote reasons. Um, and I remember the Dean said to me, the associate Dean said to me, why don't more people from your program appeal? Like this is an academic institution. These are grades. You can fight anything. You can fight a grade on an essay. You can fight a grade on a final class. You can fight mm. whatever. Cause technically the school can't disenroll you they can say you don't have marks high enough to continue That's right. Yeah. and you then make a choice. You can either make a stink to raise your marks or you trust that or whatever. And, um, and so this associate team said, why aren't more people doing this? And mm. I said, honestly, people are terrified and shattered and believe them. Like I'm 26 years old. I've been acting for at that point, probably 15 years. I've been getting enough success that I know that I am actually mm. good enough to continue. But if you're 17, 18, 19, yeah. and this is your dream and maybe you don't have the credits or you don't have the reviews or you don't have other people that are telling you it's just in your own heart. Yeah. How, how could you like how literally, how could you, how could you turn around? And there's also the pride and well, the ego of like, well, if you don't want me, I don't want you. So I think there's also the, the fear that if you fight, if you decide to, to continue on, that mm -hmm. it's going to reflect badly on you, that somehow mm -hmm. you're fighting these people mm -hmm. is going to mean that you won't get work later on. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's. I remember. There's a being, lot of fear in theater school. I remember being very concerned that getting kicked out was somehow significant. Mm. Was an indicator because I fully believe that good actors get to move on and people are getting out because they're bad actors. Yeah. Even though I was seeing friends and colleagues getting kicked out and being confused, and I was like, well, that must be the exception to the rule, yeah. I guess. Mm. But part of me had this deep-rooted belief and shame that mm. getting kicked out of theater school was this terrible shame, sure. shame. Yeah. And I remember talking to the now deceased, and I miss her very much, Iris Tricot, um at Factory Theater. Because mm. at the same time, which I think actually in hindsight was part of what the issue may have been um, because I was working at factory and had a lot of connections there. And I think that people felt kind of weirdly threatened by mm, that or yeah. something. Mm, I don't know. Okay. Maybe I yeah. shouldn't make that presumption, but I do remember you have to connect the dots somehow. Yeah, right? I was. I do remember there would be a few conversations where I'd kind of offhandedly me- mention like, oh yeah, I was talking to, you know, this, this artist at, at the theater and, some of the instructors, half the instructors were like, cool, cool. And half of them were kind of like, oh, you are speaking to blah. And like, just seemed to have yeah. a weird vibe about mm. it. I don't know. Maybe that's hindsight weirdness. But anyway, I remember talking to Iris and I was so upset. And I said, Iris, um, this, this has happened. Uh, what, what, you know, is this bad? Like, what do you think? Like, is this person going to have power over me? Cause at that point I had known, who was sort of spearheading it. I said, is this person going to be able to blacklist me or get me out of the community? And Iris cackled. If you know Iris, Mm. she was a cackler. First she stared at me. She was holding a cigarette. First she stared at me and she blew out her smoke. She said, who? And then I gave her the name of the person and she cackled and she said, no, I don't even know who that is. And I was like, (laughs) what? And it blew my mind. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, this person that I had like decided was in control of my life. Mm According to this person that I know actually is an influential decision maker, they're not even on their radar. Yeah. So that was a huge like relief yeah, relief yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah. So yeah. So in the end, I I did go, but I won that appeal very quick. I won the appeal immediately. They had to send an email within days, being like, "Oh, never mind. You can come back, or we'll see how it goes." And I was like, "All right." And then did two days. Felt like this is a waste of time and money and energy. Mm. This is stupid. And uh, dropped out. And then. Um, Every semester for years since got messages on Facebook from people that needed support mm. and help. And I know that I, I know that I made a change there. I mm. know that I was the first one to fight this thing. Right. And then a bunch of other people fought it. My proudest moment was a gentleman who I had never met before, but he was a student in class, shared in the program, shared his experiences and why he felt that the things didn't really line up and didn't really make sense. And um, some of the comments that were made to him by the instructors that were very odd and uh, I helped him write his letter and helped him put stuff together. And he ended up getting his full semester reimbursed. He ended up getting mm, his money back, nice. which I was, that was my shining moment. That's good. <laughs> in the battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When did you start creating your own work? I started creating my own work. Hmm. When I was teaching in, um, in Oakville. So that theater company is called West End Studio Theater. They're still around. They're still teaching kids. They're great. Um, I was studying with them and then became a teacher there when I was too old to take classes. I taught the drama camps in the summer and they were doing collective creation, writing shows from, mm-hmm. from day one. Sure. So I had a, a sense of, um, creating work 
from very early on, from grade nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, in Guelph, it was also a big thing that was pushed there, was creating your own work, and because that was a half practical, half theoretical program, because it was a, a BA, it wasn't a BFA. And that program, there's a lot of history. So there's a lot of information about, like, the farm show, mm-hmm. and factory theater, yeah. and Canadian theater in the 70s is such a big shift and and the big change there was people writing their own stories and collecting their own stories and just grabbing a gang of people together and saying hey let's uh, try a thing and um so that was very fresh in my mind there was a project there where you had to um they ended up putting it into the curriculum where you built like there was a class that was the ensemble class and that was putting um a show on you Mm. would create a piece and Mm. present it and produce it and do everything and prior to that, there was always student-run one-act festivals. Hmm. At least once a semester, there'd be student-run productions. And so I just, I don't know. It just didn't seem that, it was very familiar to hmm. me. I didn't start doing my own writing until Megan and I did that first sketch show. So Megan and I met at Humber. Hmm. And um, during her third year, when I did, I called it my DIY third year because I used my tuition money to pay for other classes with other <laughs> instructors and get a gym membership and yeah. do all these things. And then got hired as the full-time, uh, or not full-time, but there wasn't a full-time position for it, but got hired as the education coordinator at Factory Theatre. So then Humber had to call me and book all their tickets. And I was like, oh, hi, how are you doing? It's just me, that person who can't succeed in theatre, booking your tickets. Like, it was very <laughs> strange mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. But um, anyway, so I remember in third year, Megan and I had uh, a coffee over Christmas holidays. And I said, what do you think about turning that thing we did in second year into an actual thing? Like, let's actually write a thing. Mm. And Megan's like, yep. Sounds good. So we decided, then we saw the, I saw the, the um, short form thingy come up for Hamilton and messaged Meg and said, okay, you're done school in April. You yeah. want to think you could, you know, we could write a show in June and put it up in July. She was like, great. So she was actually the first graduate to have a show. Nice. <laughs> yeah. She was like, yeah, I'm like looking forward to my next project. It's actually a show that I'm writing with um, someone who has left the school. <laughs> So, yeah, I'd say from 2013 we started. Interesting. What has always fascinated me in recent years is talking to people who, out of the gate, were creating their own work. Um, And the reason why that sort of fascinates me is when I was in theater school, lo, those many years ago, Mm -hmm. um, the idea of creating your work was not something that, that was even on the radar. Interesting. It was the idea of like what they were training you for was to get an agent and go to the audition and get the job and go to the audition and get the job and just do that for the rest of your life. Mm. And the idea of doing, and occasionally somebody would say, well, if you can't do that, well, I guess you could do fringe. Mm. Like (laughs) as though the fringe festival was like this thing that only failed people could do. Absolutely. Um, If you can't do, do fringe. (laughs) At one point when I was on the edge of being asked to leave, the idea was that maybe you could do, I don't know, you could go out and you could do solo performance or something mm. like that. Again, at fringe festivals. Mm. And it was like the idea of somebody out of the gate creating their own work as part of their career was completely foreign. Right. And yet now, yeah. it's completely essential. I agree completely. And something I will say to the credit of, of Humber, um, although I can confidently say Guelph is doing it first at least, because I did it first there, but um, <laughs> Humber uh, did add a thing that in third year there was a self-produced show, hmm. so the class would do everything. So sure. people were actors, directors, writers, either taking source material or mm-hmm. coming up with their own things, and um, which is part of why when I didn't do third year, it was not that heartbroken. I was like, "This is all news. Mm. <laughs> I don't mm. need to. 
I know how to do this already. But um, but for a lot of people, it was their first experience. Sure. And I will say that Humber, some of the, the feedback that we had as students at Humber were like, we could use a little more like what, like looking at our script and mm. rehearsing because so much of it was creating your own work. Mm. So I do think that if you are inclined um I would say you don't need to go to theater school, number one, mm. uh, because ev- also since I've started talking, this is the most kind of public that I've talked sure. about this experience, but all of my art circle knows it in some mm-hmm. form, either the long version or the short version. But um, immediately I started hearing stories from people that just had terrible theater school experiences mm-hmm. or yeah. surprising or negative or yeah. whatever. And I know there's an article that was put out in intermission. Blog. I know the article. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't name the school, but I know the school. Yeah. I think everyone assumed that it was George Brown. It was. I was not that writer, so I can't no, no, no. say that it was my experience, but uh, no, I, I think it became confirmed that that's where it was. It was. Cause I think a lot of people who like everybody knew what school she went to. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, didn't, she didn't make it thing. anonymous. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. there's none of the things that she said in there were a surprise to anybody who's talked to George Brown graduates mm-hmm. in the last mm-hmm. 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. It was a little different. It was a different experience when I was in theater school and, and there at, at that school. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember when I was talking to a number of people who had graduated relatively recently, how shocked I was that their experience, like, I would be so excited to encounter somebody who went to George Brown. Right. And then we would sort of talk about how was it? And they'd sort yeah. of glaze over and it was fine. And then when, after we would stop recording, they would tell me these terrible things that happened to them. And I'd be like, huh, mm-hmm. how do we stop this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really hard question. Yeah. And I also, you know, my experience, uh, I speak only of my own experience and the couple of people that I've mentioned that mm-hmm. I had direct connection yeah. with, but there are a lot of people who went to Humber who it was very positive sure. and they had a great time and yeah. they did not encounter the things that I encountered. And that's also tricky to balance too, because everyone's experience is their own. And so if this place was a happy place for you, it really stinks. Like I remember a friend of mine when I was getting kicked out and it was funny because we had also gone to um, Guelph together. Yeah. And then by chance, we were like both in the same auditions for theater schools. And we're like, what's going on? And um, I remember that she, at the time that I was getting kicked out, was getting an award from Humber and was like, I don't know how to feel. Well, I shouldn't speak for her, but I remember the reaction she was sharing sure. with me was like, this is very complicated. And mm. I wanted her to feel safe to celebrate. Like, yes, except like, great. Except that. Like, yeah. you have to. And not that she wasn't going to, but I wanted to make it really clear, like, you should be, you deserve being celebrated. Yeah. Just because I'm having this literal opposite mm-hmm. experience yeah. doesn't mean that yours is somehow not important or not trustworthy mm-hmm. or not believable or not something you should be really proud of and not something that you can talk to me about. Yeah. It's a very complicated thing. Mm-hmm. And our class in particular, I've only been to theater school once, so I don't know what other people's experiences are like, but my, our class in particular was extremely close was a very close knit class and we started with 36 Mm. and by the time people got cut and a few people left, a few people kind of, I don't want to say left in protest, but were, but made it clear when they left that they were like, there's a lot of decisions here that they did not understand. Um, and did not agree with, and then couldn't understand the rationale of a lot of things that were happening. But that class ended up graduating a class of 12 Mm. and at Humber college, the average graduate, graduating classes in the twenties. Okay. So mm. there was a very, that was the smallest class I maybe they've ever had. Mm. And it was a really, um, it was a really complicated thing. And there are a lot of people that when I, 
And I was part of, there were a group of six of us that all got the chop at the same semester yeah. that weren't mm. allowed to continue. And uh, everyone was in chalk at right. everyone. Like everyone, we couldn't understand why anyone was, was right. leaving. Like it didn't make any sense yeah. to any of us. And it was really hurtful and horrible. And the also terrible icing on a garbage cake was that that day, and then they swore we will never do this again, which thank goodness, but they had the um, interviews on the same day that they had their big end of year gala oh, party. Oh, no, no, no. So we all showed up oh. in our gala outfits with tear-stained faces to celebrate the third years that we're leaving and to have almost like a final goodbye with our class. It was... Oh, that's excruciating. One of the worst things that is excruciating. ever experienced. But it was also reassuring because at that, at that thing... There were people who hadn't heard yet. My class, I texted everyone in my class, but there were people who hadn't heard and assumed that I was coming back. And we're like, yay, third year. And then when I had to say not for me, the number of shock from people was like very gratifying. Yeah, 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 of course. Especially from teachers. There were so many teachers that hadn't heard yet. I hadn't started my, you know, appeal process yet. I was still totally in shock. And teachers came up and said, you know, just, I just heard. I was not consulted in that decision. I do not agree with it. I really feel terrible. This is Mm. awful. And hearing that from people that I had worked with and respected was really helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Coming out of that interview, you know, at 10 a.m. that that earlier that day, it really felt like the whole world had turned against me of all those teachers. Yeah, absolutely. Me as a as a person, I'm I'm a very open hearted person. Yeah quick to share things. I'm, yeah. I'm a very open person. And in my work, it's even more so. And I really took it seriously that those were pretty, you know, sacred spaces. Yeah. Those were spaces where we could be our true selves and anything you were dealing with, you could bring it up in that space and people yeah. would help you through it. Mm. And celebrations that like exciting, good things. That was a space for those as well. Yeah. And in the moment, it really started to, I remember getting feedback of like, well, you struggled with this. And then that became part of our thing against you. And I heard from a few other students that had difficult interview processes of the same things. Hmm. People would, you know, write things in a journal saying, you know, I'm really struggling with this aspect or this piece of work or this whatever. And would end up months later in their interview process being told like, yeah, your struggle with that actually is being used as a reason that you shouldn't mm. continue as opposed to you were being honest about that and let's work through it and figure it out, mm. which is what I yeah, always yeah. assume. Of course, that's it what it was. should be. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I doubt that. I don't think any of the, those teachers were monsters. I think they were kind of caught in a bubble. Yeah. I think the um, power structures there were very um strange and they were very isolated from mm. the college and I think there were a lot of things that just it was so insular yeah. that I can logically see how the, some of those things happened sure. um but it was really hurtful yeah. it was really awful and it it's not a, not a thing that I wish on anybody as no. somebody who like scraped through all of my interviews every one twice mm-hmm. a year mm-hmm. like that whole process was like just a, a miserable and also, this the sort of the fun thing now is that I encountered the head of acting at the time that I was in school, and now he's a fan. Mm-hmm. But to be like to have spent yeah. so much time struggling <laughs> with yeah. him, and then to have, have him come up and like compliment work that I've done, yeah, yeah, and yeah. basically tell me that he's a fan of mine, just right. be like, uh, uh-huh. why couldn't you have told me that when I really needed to hear it when I was like 
20. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can say I've had similar experiences. Yeah. And also, um, I put in my bio, Humber, I, I put in my bio, University of Guelph graduate, Humber College dropout. Mm. And I think I will probably forever. At first yeah. I did it kind of as a, like a coming from a very emotional place, sure. but now I'm just like, yeah, that's a fact. Own it. And I don't want that school to ever take credit for anything that well, I've done. Yeah. It's, I and mean, it's funny how they, it's funny how they, how they might, you went here, you find, you find success and they are very happy mm-hmm. to, to sing your praises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a time where there were a lot of tweets happening, supporting, um, the sketch show with Megan and Megan was an alumni was a graduate. And so I understand that, but I was also like, guys, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Like, yeah. you know yeah. that, um, this is me too. Yeah, right. Yeah. And like Megan and yeah. I are a hundred percent, every project we've ever done fully 50, 50, yeah. like fully 50, 50. Yeah. So for you to be like, this show was great. Like, is it fifty yeah. percent great? Yeah. Or is it great? <laughs> those are you gotta you gotta yeah. think about it. And yeah, I remember getting like mm. things like that that were odd. And I will say that you know they haven't, they've never done the the thing where they've like reached out and wanted to write anything, or whatever. So I, I they're not. It's not like they're trying to do that. And I'm no, saying, no, no. Yeah. I don't want to misrepresent that either. But if they were thinking about it, I would certainly say no because. It was wild. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm happy to give credit to the people who were um, really good teachers yeah. there. and But but those things are, you know, I, I do sure. that individually. But yeah. as a school, as a unit, as a chunk, mm. as an institution. Well, they sort of no. they sort of ruined it. They sort of like spoiled it. Well, they burned yeah. that bridge. Yeah, they, you burned, don't get to tell they me, burned the bridge, right? You burned a bridge, yeah. man. Like, you don't get to tell me that I shouldn't co- pursue theater as an actor. Yeah. And then when I book acting gigs... Um, like, take credit yeah. yeah way to go she was yeah. here yeah okay Franny are you are you on social media you mentioned twi- Twitter yeah what's your Twitter handle um everything is at Franny spelled F-R-A-N-N-Y underscore M like Mary C like cat B like boy MCB for my initials so at Franny underscore MCB I'm on Twitter and Instagram I have a Facebook page I have a website the website's FrannyMCB.com nice yeah nice. all that stuff It's great. Thank you so much. This is great. Yeah, thank you.